Greetings and welcome to the pod. Now, last time we talked about stingers, we learnt some very valuable insights. Yeah, don't wee on people. It in fact makes it worse. It agitates the, the tentacles and things and they will fire off more if you pee on someone that's been stung. So don't, it's just bad. Now it turns out there may be some better solutions out there on the horizon. Associate Professor Greg Neely from the School of Life and Environmental Sciences at the University of Sydney has discovered an antidote to the sting of the most venomous creature on Earth, the Australian box jellyfish. Greg's antidote, discovered using CRISPR genome editing technology, blocks the symptoms within 15 minutes and overlaps interestingly with research conducted into cholesterol. This means that the drug development may already be out there and we could see something in the hands of lifesavers sooner rather than later. I started by asking Greg what it was like to be stung by a box jellyfish. The first thing is a a whole bunch of excruciating pain and then some tissue death, death and necrosis at the site. And then in bad, serious situations, the venom can make its way to the heart and then uh, start start killing the heart, cause cardiac collapse and death. I've noticed in your research that you do a bit of research on pain. Is this yeah. <laughs> is this your first maritime venom? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, very cool. And and so, what did you do? You've come up with a box jellyfish antidote. How did you do that? Well, so what we did is we took the box jellyfish venom and then added it to human cells. And what we what we saw was that it, it killed them rapidly and completely. And so that, that, for science, that's like a really easy assay because all these cells are alive, now they're all dead. Yeah. And so it's nice and black and white. So then the next thing we did was we mutated the cells um, using CRISPR genome editing, uh, and we mutated them in big pools where we removed every gene in the human genome in different cells. So each cell is missing one gene. And then now we add the venom, and not all cells die, so some survived. So most cells died, but then a few survived. So we grow up the ones that survive and then use uh, next generation sequencing to identify the genes that have been targeted. And then that told us how the venom works or at least what pathways that can make, make the cells um, resistant to the venom. So, and so CRISPR is a pretty new technology. That, that's pretty cool. You can basically target different genes in, the, in human DNA. We, we have an awful lot of genes. This must be amazing technology. Yeah, we have 25,000-ish genes, depends on if you count splice variants and and non-coding genes and all that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, CRISPR genome editing works on all of them. It's just based on uh, DNA sequence. And so we can bring in, basically the sequence brings in an enzyme that cuts the genes. So we just link the DNA sequence with the um, gene. So it's a guide RNA, it's called. And then the Cas9, the enzyme, um, is recruited to wherever we want in the genome and just cuts that uh, gene and so basically it's um, super efficient. Okay, and so and so then you found the the human cells that survived with their with their genes edited. Did you edit twenty five thousand genes, or did you did you know where to look to start with? No, it was uh, unbiased. So I don't I don't think we did full twenty five thousand. I think we did about nineteen thousand. Wow. So there must have been. I mean, how many? I, I sometimes struggle with the scale of these things. How many human cells would have been in the in the trial to start with? Millions, I guess. Yeah, hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions, and then you can grow the ones that work. And so, which genes were found to be important in the box jellyfish um, venom pathways? 
so from the human side of things, um, our top hit was this uh, transmembrane uh, calcium um, transporter called ATP2B1. Um, and so that was kind of what we think is probably the receptor that's helping them get into the cells, but we haven't fully proven that. And then we hit a bunch of genes that are involved in cholesterol biogenesis. Right. So genes that make cholesterol in your cells. Yep. What's the venom doing with cholesterol? So cholesterol is well known to like keep the plasma membrane fluid. Um, so it's if the plasma membrane, like the outside of the cell is this um, phospholipid bilayer. And um, within it is cholesterol kind of dissolved in there, and that keeps that gives the cell membrane its kind of flexibility and fluidity. And so, basically, we wouldn't think the venom is directly acting on these cholesterol biogenesis biogenesis genes. Um, we think that basically the the venom requires the end product, which is cholesterol, to be in the membrane for the venom to work properly. Okay, so this kind of makes it fluid enough to get through, or or something like that helps transport it through. Maybe not directly, it, but some way. It's probably directly binding to cholesterol, um, but not to the proteins, just the end product. Okay. Um, and so the, there's a whole big field studying um, this since the 90s, um, looking at lipid rafts or, or um, membrane microdomains. And so there's cholesterol-rich microdomains and, and uh, microdomains that don't have cholesterol. So all that kind of stuff was like really well characterized. And then when we hit this pathway, we're like, oh, this is how it's working. So that's so that's kind of lucky in a way because we've got lots of drugs to treat cholesterol. You know, you know cholesterol is a health issue. Do any of the drugs work quick enough to stop to stop a jellyfish pain? Uh yeah. So so I mean, the drugs that you use to mo- to manage your cholesterol in your body, those ones don't would probably we didn't test them actually, but they probably wouldn't work fast enough in the, for this situation. Um, but in this case, we took a drug which is um, you know has been well used over the years. Uh, as a, um, it, it's usually used to deliver other drugs. So it's kind of almost like a, a little a donut where the center is uh, usually filled with a drug. But in this case, it's empty and it's a hydro, uh, hydrophobic. So it, it's like um, uh, things like cholesterol can stick into the hole. And so we used that drug and then that drug just pulls out, sequesters all the cholesterol out of the system like immediately and um, and then blocks the jellyfish venom from working. And also that drug could also be acting directly on the jellyfish venom. We didn't address that, but that's a likely possibility as well. Okay. So how long have you got then? If you get stung, you're in excruciating pain and you can hardly move and you need to get this stuff, how long have you got? So in our system, we did a time course. And so if we had the drug before venom, you're great. No problem. That's the strongest effect. But we had a 15-minute window, so we can add the drug up to 15 minutes after the venom and still block uh, the vast majority of the effects. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll help the, the topical stuff, I guess. But if it, if it gets into your bloodstream and gets to your heart, that's, that's going to be a problem, right? It's not a miracle solution just yet. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. It's not a miracle solution yet. It could be. We'll see. But be. basically, um, when you add when venom when you get stung and the venom gets you know injected into your skin, um, there's a time where we could probably stop the venom from spreading um, by blocking its ability to get through all the cells. Uh, right. Okay. So, so it's possible that if you get in early enough, uh, we could stop the damage. Uh, and, and then the other possibility is the more invasive approach where we have a syringe filled with this drug and you just didn't, if you're having, if you're going into cardiac arrest, then it just gets injected into your heart. Um, and that might also be okay. Uh, we know this drug is fairly safe. I'm not sure anyone's ever injected it directly into the heart though. 
Okay. Yes, yeah, so some clinical trials await. It, it, it's interesting. I, I, I spoke to the Jamie Seymour a few, um, well, a month ago or so, and I, I read that you got your um, jellyfish from, from him up, in, up yep. in Cairns, which is pretty cool. And he was talking about how, yes, you don't bandage up a box jellyfish bite because it may well squeeze out more venom yep. into your skin. So it, it, you're thinking not so much a cream because that might rub more venom into your skin, but some sort of spray? Yeah, we're thinking a spray. And so, like, one possibility uh, would be to dissolve this in vinegar, and then you just have already the same effect of adding vinegar, but now an additional effect um, that the drug within the vinegar can pull out all the cholesterol and also probably detoxify the venom itself. Okay, cool. So I read that this is, like, the first of its kind. Uh, uh, this this is the, the antidote is the first of its kind. How do, you know, with, with a, a snake's bite, they talk about anti-venom, but this, mm-hmm. work, this works differently to, to that yeah. sort of usual thing? Yeah. So normally when you have like a venomous deadly critter, um, you'll extract the venom and then inject it into like a sheep or a horse or something and uh, and create a immune response against it, probably heat and activate it, then inject it into a sheep or a horse. And then you collect the blood from the sheep or the horse uh, and you, you collect the antibodies. So that's an anti-venom is um, basically... Um, antibodies have been generated in a large animal that are specific for this venom components, and then you inject that that um, antisera into the person that's been exposed. So for jellyfish, there is one that exists, uh, jellyfish anti-venom, uh, which is made in sheep. Um, but lots of the research that's published is, shows it has like a maximum effect around 48 hours after envenoming, right. which is kind of as things are kind of calming down. And also, you then have like a serum sickness response because the sheep, your body notices the sheep um, antibodies as foreign and starts to attack them. So you get some issues from that. That's interesting. So, so anti-venoms aren't... I, I knew they were done in um, animals, but I didn't realize that we'd have issues with the fact they were made by animals, I guess. Like there's, there's yeah. residual animal proteins in there, are there? Uh, well, the antibodies that are made... So the a- antibodies have um, a variable section, that, uh, like the front part is antibodies shaped like a Y, and the two tips of the Y bind to whatever you want them to do and neutralize. Yeah. But then the, like the stem... Um, that part has an FC region, and that is specific for each um, right. species. Okay. Yep. And so when you inject a bunch of that in, from sheep into us, our bodies recognize the FC as kind of like a foreign invading virus, something like that, and start neutralizing it. And then that causes immune complexes and a bunch of inflammation and stuff like that. So do you think that, that this, um, I mean, CRISPR technique, I guess, might be used uh, in the future for this sort of pain research. Do you think this do you think this particular drug or even just the idea of targeting the cholesterol or things like that in cells might have wide application? Well, this is, the targeting cholesterol is not a new idea. Um, it was kind of just lucky for us when we screened through how it works. It worked through this well-targeted um, pathway. Yeah. Um, so there's, I, there are other, other people in the world interested in using this kind of drug to, to um, help with various kind of painful situations. Just not from venom. Just not from venom. Oh, okay. So it could be used for, I don't know, arthritis or something. something or... Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. And so your your background, you've come from Canada via Austria 
to Australia. Have you always studied pain research? What's what's your background? Uh, so I started uh, my PhD and I started doing research in in 1997, and I think I started my PhD in 98, uh, doing um, uh, human blood uh, immunology and uh, HIV infections and HIV pathogens. So when you get HIV and then you get AIDS, you get infected with these different kinds of um, pathogens that we, then healthy people get infected with. Uh, and so um, I started studying that, um, and then in 2000, so human immunology, and then in 2003 when I moved to Vienna, switched to functional genomics, so basically just lots of this kind of stuff, screening to find genes that control stuff. And uh, the main focus was pain, but I also studied heart function and, and heart function under stress. Which is exactly what a box jellyfish would do as well. Totally. So that, <laughs> yeah. So that, uh, that's really fascinating. And, and I guess CRISPR is changing this field quite a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, CRISPR is like a, a massive breakthrough. Wow, and is and so that's where where do you where do you see yourself going in the future? Um, so this what we use we used uh, whole genome pooled CRISPR screening for this paper, and we're doing that all the time now in lots of different um, diseases or or situations. One of the most powerful things for this technology is um, identifying how toxins or environmental like so venoms or toxins or environmental contaminants can damage human cells. So we're, we're actually now kind of switching into some of that. So we're looking at uh, major industrial um, contaminants that are suggested to have effects on human health, but it's not, not clear how, excuse me, not, it's not clear how they work. And so then now we're using this exact approach that we're used for the venom to figure out how some of these dangerous things work. So this is probably also pretty applicable to something like cancer i guess and i you know you shouldn't just say cancer because it's a big thing and everybody's got a cure for cancer but i guess in things that you don't know the pathways for this is a pretty interesting approach yeah so for this pooled crispr screening the the most powerful approach uh, application for cancer there's a paper maybe a month ago where they took uh, 450 different cancer tumors from different people and and then they um they they use this whole genome crispr approach as well but instead of looking for res, uh resistance they looked at how to kill those cells instead and so basically so i told you we're taking we're knocking out you know 20,000 genes and and then adding venom and almost everything dies and we look for like the 0.1% that survives and that's the resistant pathway. Yeah. What other people have done is taken tumors that, you know, we don't know exactly how to kill, knock out every gene in the genome and then let them live for a little bit and then collect later and look for what's missing. And so it's called a dropout screen. And so you're basically looking for how do you kill each kind of cancer. Yep. Um, and, and that's super awesome. So then now there's just a ton of new drug targets um, that we can, like, there's, there's not enough researchers in the world to um, follow all the new, you know, ways we can um, use this technology. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, so 25,000 is not so big a number that you can't test them all. I guess it's the combinations of genes. I mean, that's, that's you know, exponentially huge. You turn five on or something, you, you, you could do all sorts of combinations. Is that, a, is that an issue? Do you need to kind of be smart about what you choose? You definitely have to be smart about what you choose. Um, but as far as combinations, so, we, so, so for these whole genome CRISPR pool screens, you don't have to do a whole genome. You can do a selected number. But the thing is, they're each barcoded. And so we do them in one big vat. And so it's not like that someone's testing them single one by one. We test them all together. And so that's one of the major breakthroughs that allows us to do so much so quickly. And as far as turning them on, it's a bit different. So as far as turning off in combinations, when you start knocking out multiple genes, you get weird, like, 
chromosomal rearrangements and crossovers and stuff that make it hard to do more than one at a time. Yeah. So we usually just do one at a time. But now we can also turn them on. That's called, it's called CRISPR-A um, for, for activation. Yeah. Uh, and for that, you can do combinations where it doesn't cause um, really strange chromosomal abnormalities. Right. So that's powerful, but no one's really done too much with that yet. It's, that's like super brand new. And I guess you probably work with it all the time, but do you know what CRISPR stands for off the top of your head? <laughs> Let's see. Clustered, repeats, palindromic, CRISPR. <laughs> I could have looked it up too, you know, but, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, there's some interspaced. Wait. Regularly interspaced, short. Okay, so because usually when 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 you get an acronym like that, I usually try to make it out, you know, make it make a word. But CRISPR, oh yeah, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't I don't know the uh, I I don't know CRISPR might mean something to geneticists, but I, I don't know. Nah, well yeah. it does now. It just it means CRISPR. Yeah. But but back in the day, it was in like the nineties, I think, um, and it would just worked out that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it describes exactly what they are. They are clustered. They're interspaced, and they're short palindromic repeats. It's, the tech's been around for that long, has it? But it's only now we figured out how to like really harness it. Is that right? Well, so it's just so CRISPR is just a part of the bacterial immune system, uh, and that it, so that's just a naturally evolving thing. And then and then the new uh, innovation was in the early 2010s or 2012 around there um, was just to, instead of using the bacterial guide that that controls. Um, the antiviral response in bacteria and just pop in, pop in GFP guide. And so then we could target, uh, that was the first uh, uh, application just to show that it, we could control, we could program what it targets. Yeah. So it's basically an existing system that was kind of, it was fused together and then, and then reprogrammed with whatever we need. Thank you very much to Associate Professor Greg Neely from the School of Life and Environmental Sciences at the University of Sydney for that fascinating chat about a possible antidote for jellyfish. Yes, we did get our science on in this episode. If you'd like any more information on anything that Greg spoke about today, including what the definition of CRISPR is, get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And there you'll find links to Greg's work and all the music that you've heard in this episode. Thanks again. My name's Mark West. I'll catch you next time on The Pod. I enjoyed it. Except for the acronym. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you asked me that. (laughs) (laughs) That was unintentional too, but you know. (laughs) I never bothered to memorize it for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You just remember it for your next job interview sort of thing, although it probably doesn't matter by that. Great. I'll just send them this link. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll edit it out. Maybe I won't. I will see. We'll see. (laughs) No, it's fine. I don't care, man.